this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i'm your host g sampath last week the government announced that it has allocated rupees 19744 crores for a national green hydrogen mission this mission will aim to make india a global hub for producing using and exporting green hydrogen india is not alone in formulating a green hydrogen strategy or in setting aside big money for developing the country into a global hub for green hydrogen in the last 18 months or so a great many developing countries such as argentina for instance have climbed onto the green hydrogen bandwagon which is viewed by many as some kind of a silver bullet of sorts for decarbonization so how will the national green hydrogen mission be implemented how does green hydrogen fit in with india's energy consumption profile and decarbonization commitments does india have the manufacturing base to develop into a green hydrogen hub we explore all these questions in this episode of in focus and we have with us anurag nallapaneni from the world resources institute india anurag thank you so much for joining us thank you sampath for having me it's a pleasure to be here anurag uh, before we get to the actual details of the national green hydrogen mission can you for the benefit of our uh, listeners explain what exactly is green hydrogen how is it different from hydrogen of other colors so to speak gray hydrogen blue hydrogen and all that and what makes it cleaner or zero carbon uh, compared to other varieties of hydrogen that's a great question sampath so the color green for hydrogen is attributed based on the production pathway used for this hydrogen to make it a bit more obvious the current colors of hydrogen which are being used across various industrial sectors is gray or blue hydrogen gray hydrogen refers to the hydrogen that's derived from natural gas natural gas as most of you might know is methane ch4 so you strip the hydrogen of the carbon and you get carbon dioxide as a byproduct along with hydrogen which is the feedstock which is produced through natural gas and this is called gray hydrogen in case we choose to car- capture the carbon that is emitted through this process this is a slightly lower carbon intensive process of hydrogen production which is then termed as blue hydrogen green hydrogen as the name suggests is the hydrogen made from renewable electricity and water so we split water molecules which is h2o and you split this hydrogen from the oxygen using electricity the only condition here is that the electricity used to split the water molecule has to come from renewables this could be either solar wind hydropower or biomass based uh, renewable electricity so the difference between blue or green hydrogen is prime the fact that the feedstock used to produce this hydrogen differs in the current use cases for hydrogen we are using fossil fuel based feedstock but as we shift to a cleaner transition pathway we are looking at hydrogen being produced from renewable sources which is why it's called green okay okay this might seem like a dumb thing to say here but but i but also so what it means basically is that the color of the hydrogen remains the same it's basically the way you produce it which gives it a particular kind of a label whether it is green or blue or gray that's how it works am i, am I right correct exactly right sir and in fact there are also a few upcoming colors of hydrogen so 
for example, countries with a lot of nuclear energy want to make hydrogen using electrolysis, which is basically splitting the water apart. But they want the energy to come from nuclear power. And this is termed turquoise hydrogen. This is turquoise? Yes, turquoise hydrogen. So you have quite a few colors of hydrogen across the spectrum and we are discovering new and more and more colors as we sort of find new ways to make this hydrogen. Okay, okay. Now coming to uh, the basic, uh, the big development of, of the day, the National Green Hydrogen Mission. So why has uh, India sort of launched this mission? We have also allocated a good deal of money for it. So what are the timelines and production targets and all the rest of it associated with this mission? Can you just unpack it for us? Yes, sure. So uh, the reason why India launched a national hydrogen mission or a national green hydrogen mission is primarily to try and decarbonize a few of these hard-to-abate industrial sectors. When I mean when I say hard-to-abate, I basically mean sectors which cannot be electrified. Uh, India's renewable energy journey is quite well understood. You know, we have a very good renewable energy capacity and it's growing quite rapidly. Uh, we also have one of the cheapest uh, renewable tariffs across the world. So our renewable energy sector is doing a very good job of decarbonizing anything that is electricity based. But when it comes to industrial decarbonization, we are still sort of yet to make any dent. So the green hydrogen mission is targeted at some of these sectors which can be decarbonized through the adoption of hydrogen, which is why India has launched the National Hydrogen Mission to sort of start decarbonizing these hard-to-abate sectors. So which sectors are these, sorry to interrupt, which sectors are these uh, you are referring to, Anurag? Right. So the immediate application for hydrogen is going to be in sectors that already use hydrogen. So by this, I'm referring to fertilizers, refining, certain pathways of steel production, these sectors already consume hydrogen. Just that the hydrogen that they are currently consuming comes from natural gas, which is why it's called grey hydrogen. And also, India imports a lot of its natural gas. So, the green hydrogen mission is also targeted at reducing these imports of natural gas, which is used to make the hydrogen, by domestically producing our own hydrogen through the green path. Okay, so the, the green hydrogen used by these sectors are for energy or for, for, for other purposes? That's a great question. I should have uh, clarified this maybe at the beginning, but hydrogen has two applications. One as a feedstock. When I mean when I say feedstock, I mean as an input chemical material or as an input compound to make more complex chemicals or to make more uh, derivatives of hydrogen as they are called. So these derivatives can be anything like ammonia, which is a very important derivative of hydrogen or methanol. So these derivatives of hydrogen which are made from green hydrogen also tend to have that green attribute to them, which is why we also hear the term green ammonia or green methanol being floated in the industry these days. And the industries which are currently using hydrogen are using it as a feedstock. So in the case of fertilizers, they're using it to make ammonia, which is an input material for a lot of complex ammonical fertilizers, including diammonium phosphate, as well as uh, the same ammonia is also used to make urea. Uh, in the refining sector, it's used to reduce uh, the hydrocarbon chains or also desulfurize. So when India made the shift from BS4 to BS6, there was a huge requirement for hydrogen because BS6 norms entailed that we had a very low sulfur content in our fuels. And also in the steel sector where it is used to reduce iron ore. So these are existing sectors where hydrogen is currently consumed as a feedstock. Of course, future applications envisioned under the mission also include 
energy applications for heating for transport sector as well as for uh, uh, long term energy storage right uh, anurag uh, on this question of uh, you mentioned various sectors you know fertilizers and uh, you know steel and so on uh, these are those are all fine they are heavy industries difficult to sort of decarbonize through electrification but many critics have said that uh, it's it's sort of uh, it's not a great idea to go to look at hydrogen uh, for de- decarbonizing the transport sector because you already have a proven method to do so which is electrification you've got electric vehicles coming in in a big way you've got electric buses and trams and whatnot so why are we looking at hydrogen for the transport sector because you don't need it uh, as such you already have electrification so how do you sort of respond to this that's a great question sir so electrification is the way for the transport sector which i completely agree with also the reason why hydrogen is seen as a solution for the transport sector is because transport does not just mean your road transport you're also looking at rail you're also looking at shipping you're also looking at aviation i'll take them one by one but within the road sector as well if you take the example of a intercity truck or an intercity bus something that maybe travels between bangalore and bombay or hyderabad and uh, chennai you're talking about a long distance and especially if you're talking about moving freight over these longer distances an electric vehicle or an electric uh, battery electric vehicle based truck is not going to be a great solution there because the weight of the battery itself to have that range to take you over that long distance is going to take up a bulk of your uh, freight but are they going to be like charging points throughout and all that yes there could be charging points throughout but charging a truck or a bus takes a lot of time you can put a fast charger but that just increases the amount of time you are charging at each individual stop but a hydrogen fuel truck can travel that same distance or maybe on a single hydrogen uh, refueling or on a single hydrogen tank and refueling a hydrogen tank on a truck is very similar to refueling your car it takes about 5 to 10 minutes and you are good to go about 500 kilometers and also uh, the shipping sector which i think is one of the most uh, polluting industries uh, from a transport perspective currently runs on heavy crude or uh, the most uh, thickest form of crude oil that you can find so these engines which the shipping industry uses they can also be sort of modified to run on either green ammonia or green methanol and that is something that the shipping industry is also really looking forward to and of course you have sustainable aviation fuels as well which uh, can be made from uh, some of these sustainable aviation fuels can be made from hydrogen which can also allow us to decarbonize the aviation sector and rail obviously were difficult to electrify sections of the track exist like in the ghats or in the remote regions of the country you can run hydrogen trains over there right now coming back to the details of the hydrogen uh, mission so how is this 19744 crore uh, going to be utilized and what kind of uh, targets I mean, there were some numbers being mentioned 5 million metric tons by around 2030 or something like that can you just tell us uh, in broad outlines what the money allocation uh, breakup looks like right so of the 19744 crores about 17000 odd crores has been allocated primarily for incentivizing hydrogen production so they have taken two approaches to it uh, the breakup between these two is about 5000 odd crores for an electrolyzer an incentive for electrolyzer manufacturing and the remaining uh, about 12000 odd crores is for incentivizing green hydrogen production itself so it's sort of like a, 
uh, an incentive to bridge the gap between a gray and a green hydrogen price, the cost differential between them. So about 12,000 odd crores is uh, allocated for that and the remaining 5,000 odd crores is for uh, incentivizing electrolyzer manufacturing in India. So an electrolyzer is basically the component where you put in the water and supply it with renewable electricity and it gives you, it splits the molecule of water into hydrogen and oxygen. Right. So when you say incentivize, you mean basically it's a subsidy? Uh, yes. So about uh, 12,000 of that 17,000 odd crores is going to be a subsidy for green hydrogen. And the remaining 5,000 crores is uh, sort of like a, a, a production-linked incentive program where uh, a developer or a manufacturer of this electrolyzer, if he meets certain criteria, will be eligible for uh, uh, some of that incentives. Right. Now, w- w- one phrase which uh, which keeps coming up uh, in the mission uh, uh, details is uh, the hub model. So, how, so it, they want, uh, basically, as in we want India to become a global hub for green hydrogen. And we also want to develop uh, different uh, geographical locations into hubs. So, how does this work? Will, will In a hub, will green hydrogen be produced and consumed in the same place? Or will it be produced in one place and we'll have to set up supply lines to carry or transport green hydrogen to different uh, satellite places? Like, what is this model that we are working towards? That's a great question, Sampad. So, India's uh, uh, version of a hub is going to be, like you said, a co-located consumption and production. The transport of hydrogen is something that is quite complex. It's not as easy to transport as LNG where you just put a pipeline down and you send it across. Uh, the, the requirements for safety, the regulations around hydrogen transport, especially in a gaseous or liquid form, is quite high. Even the technical complexities involved are quite high. So in cases where you can avoid transporting your hydrogen, that's exactly what you do. And this is where India has a really great advantage. We have one of the largest interconnected grids in the world. The same grid is used to transfer energy all the way from Rajasthan to Tamil Nadu. So that gives us an advantage where if we are able to co-locate our production of green hydrogen and also the consumption of green hydrogen, all you need to do is supply renewable electricity to this point where we have identified, which we have identified as a hub. And the transmission network in India is capable of supplying this renewable electricity to various points across the country. And within these hubs now, you can have co-located production and also consumption of hydrogen for various applications. Not just transport or not just industry, but also for other upcoming applications which can be tested. And this optimizes the cost for uh, adopting or transitioning to a hydrogen ecosystem as well. Right. Now, uh, coming to the elephant in the room with regard to green hydrogen, it is much, much more expensive than other fuel options. And even with all the incentivization and subsidy for the ultimate end user, so to speak, the consumer or whoever, uh, there is a big cost differential. So how is this cost factor going to be addressed? Right. So this uh, is something uh, something that needs to be kept in mind when we talk about the cost differential is the current cost of hydrogen. The current cost of hydrogen or grey hydrogen as we call it is linked to the price of natural gas because natural gas is used to make this uh, grey hydrogen. Any fluctuation in the price of your natural gas, the cost of your grey hydrogen also changes. And as we have seen recently due to global conflicts, natural gas spot market prices shot through the roof where we were looking at almost north of $25 per MMBTU. So this also increases the cost of grey hydrogen given that they are both linked. 
Green hydrogen, on the other hand, derives most of most of its cost from the renewable electricity. And now, renewable electricity, fortunately for a market like India, we know is quite low, and it's also the visibility over renewable electricity over a long term period is quite easy. We have twenty five years PPAs that are signed, power purchase agreements, which means you lock in a price today for a renewable electricity, and it is a price that you can be sure will be the same for the next twenty five years. So the differential in cost for grey and green hydrogen currently does exist, but that cost keeps changing. That differential keeps changing because the input for grey hydrogen is very susceptible to global queues or global uh, or, uh, fluctuations in the global markets, whereas green hydrogen does not have the same amount of fluctuation, which gives users a much better visibility. And also, there are currently a few. Companies as well as conglomerates in the market who are ready to pay a premium for this green hydrogen, because they can then use this green hydrogen to label the products that they are making with this green hydrogen. This they can give it the same green attribute. So what I was referring to as green ammonia or green methanol or even green steel are uh, products that command a premium over other conventionally produced products simply because they have that green attribute associated. That is also going to help sort of. Uh, create a viable market for green hydrogen right this this entire uh, creation of an ecosystem where companies would be willing to pay a premium for green hydrogen so that they can their products can enjoy the green uh, label premium i think that's an interesting point uh, to bear in mind as well now another criticism which has uh, come to the fore in the discourse around uh, the green hydrogen mission is that this is a highly capital intensive production process and india's manufacturing base you know especially you know after demonetization we have seen the sme sector and msme sector sort of suffering a lot of damage and we still don't have that kind of a robust manufacturing base to support and sustain such an ambitious initiative we earmarked some 12000 crores to sort of expand very fast in this particular domain so how are we planning to address uh, this challenge uh, going forward So I think it's a two-prong uh, problem. One is, uh, will industries be actually able to decarbonize using green hydrogen? And the second is, would green hydrogen act, uh, be a needless distraction from electrification, like uh, you had spoken about? So going back to sort of my first uh, set of uh, responses around the fact that there are a few industries which cannot be decarbonized using just electricity. you will have to have an alternative here and green hydrogen is primarily targeted at those industries these industries are also the bulk consumers of hydrogen which will enable the scale no uh, anurag let me uh, let me clarify my question was not about decarbonization it's about producing hydrogen which uh, which is a process and as you described using electrolysis and 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 uh, requiring a lot of high tech inputs right i think right now china commands Uh, a major share of this whatever this equipment is needed for electrolysis and etc and we still don't have uh, that kind of expertise and so on so which requires a lot of uh, manufacturing capabilities and so on so i was asking about the production part of uh, the whole uh, whole deal okay okay all right uh, yes that that's also a, a very good question if you i can draw a few parallels to the renewable energy industry compared to green hydrogen production like where we stand today about 10 years back 2010 we hardly had any solar capacity in the country today we are one of the biggest solar markets globally and even till date a lot of the solar modules that are installed in our country do, are not actually manufactured in the country 
India has recognized this problem for solar today after 10 years of development within the market. And today we have programs which are incentivizing the local manufacturing of solar modules. The same has been identified for green hydrogen as well. And fortunately, the entire world is in the same boat. The interest towards hydrogen has peaked possibly over the past three years. And no one in the community of hydrogen developers has been prepared for the type of interest that countries have shown. Yes, China does probably lead the world markets in electrolyzer manufacturing, but their capacity to manufacture is also very limited. The same can be said for most developed nations as well. Nobody has any significant manufacturing capacity. Everybody is in that phase of scaling their manufacturing capacity. And of that 19,000 odd crores, I had mentioned that about 5,000 crores earmarked to make sure that there is a domestic manufacturing capacity available. So given that there is also such global momentum towards installing manufacturing capacity for electrolyzers, which are the component which splits the water, there is a lot of scope for India to also capitalize on this momentum by ensuring that they are attracting the correct investments and the correct technology providers to our nation so that they can establish manufacturing within India. And not to mention, we also have a quite we also have quite a few homegrown startups who are doing some phenomenal work in the space of uh, manufacturing electrolysis. Right. We're running out of time, Anurag. So one final question uh, before we uh, wrap up. And this has to do with uh, the global debate, not just, it's not specific to our national mission, but generally the kinds of uh, debates and discussions, especially among environmentalist groups, uh, which is going on. Uh, and one of those uh, big discussion points is that uh, is sort of can be connected to one aspect of the mission, which is that India should be a net exporter of green hydrogen that's exactly what the mission says and one assumes that a lot of uh, this export uh, so to speak will go to the global north you know european union and the us and so on and this is also sort of followed the pattern of setting up green hydrogen hubs in south america in africa and there is a critique being made by some activists who say that the global north is outsourcing their decarbonization burden to developing countries, which is, again, a, a green version of fossil fuel colonialism, just like you extracted oil from the former colonial states to run your industry and your development. You are now sort of relying on the global south to sort of run your decarbonization for you. And they cite the examples of countries like Tunisia uh, and Argentina, where huge uh, chunks of provinces running into thousands of acres I've been leased out for renewable energy farms, which will be dedicated for green hydrogen manufacturing projects. So what are your thoughts on this uh, criticism, considering India is also from the global south? We also had problems with land acquisition for big uh, mega projects and so on. Uh, yes, that, that is a really good question, Sampath. And this is something that has to be studied very carefully as well. Primarily because of the fact that Europe and a lot of these nations which want to import hydrogen, uh, they do not have the capacity to produce their hydrogen. If they could, they would do it. But unfortunately, a lot of Europe as well as uh, Japan and South Korea do not have either the land or the renewable energy resources required to uh, produce the quantum of hydrogen that they are looking for. And you're right in the fact that these countries have sort of, in a way, moved to other nations where they can sort of acquire land or acquire resources which they can use to produce materials that will help their economies decarbonize. But I also think that if 
nations are careful, especially the global south is careful in the way they interact with these importing nations. There is a lot of benefit that can be harnessed by countries like India, Argentina, Indonesia as well, the ones you were mentioning. Because Europe has now made commitments to go green and they will want to meet their commitments to go green and they are willing to pay a premium for it, like I was explaining earlier. These green products, whether it be green steel, green ammonia, they can command a premium in the market. Why why can't they use their own? You you mentioned earlier that they are not able to use their own resources or they don't have their resources. But what resources are required? Only land is required for solar, right? What what resources are they lacking? Why can't they use their own land? Correct. You can put the land, but you can't uh, you can't force the sun to shine for twelve hours a day. Right? <laughs> so a lot of Europe, if you if you have ever been to Germany, France, they do not have as much abundant sunlight as the global south. Wind, what about wind and uh, wind? They have windmills and so on. And I, I don't know. Yes, they, they do have windmills. That is correct. But uh, then again, that factor of the cost of energy sort of comes in there. Windmills, unfortunately, even they also have an environmental impact. In some cases, much more extreme than uh, solar panels. Solar panels are quite benign creatures. They just sit on the land. They do nothing but reflect the sun in a few cases. Windmills, on the other hand, can cause a lot more harm to the ecosystem and biodiversity around them. They have a smaller land footprint, agreed, but they still also have uh, environmental impacts, which are faced both by any country, the developed world or the developing world, which wants to install these resources. Right. Yeah, in fact, in Argentina, I think they were going to set up some kind of a wind farm and there are protests about how it could affect the, the Argentinian, that condor. The big bird, which is an endangered species, was a lots of uh, discussions happening around that. Well, this is this is an ongoing uh, topic, and we're going to hear a lot more about it. Thank you so much, Anurag, for sharing your time and your thoughts and insights on this very interesting development, the National Green Hydrogen Mission. I think India is very keen to sort of take a kind of a leadership role in this, at least in the immediate region, and we will hear a lot more about it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sampath, for the opportunity. It was great speaking with you as well. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.